I love choices. I love having lots of options and choices in my life. We have so many choices in our lives, where we live and how we live. You may not even realize how vast your choices in life are compared to most of the rest of the world. My cousin lives in Africa, and she was back in the U.S. and ran to the store to get yogurt for her kids. And she went into the yogurt aisle in the supermarket and was paralyzed paralyzed by the choices and walked out of the store, could not buy yogurt. She said, look, in Kenya, you go to the store, they either have yogurt or they don't have yogurt. And if they have it, you can choose to buy it. And if they don't, choice is made for you. She said, but now it's like you've got standard yogurt, you've got Greek yogurt, and you're going to pick which one, you know, based on what kind of yogurt. And then uh, do you want the 0% milk fat or the 2%? You've got to pick that, and then do you want, how is it sweetened? Is it sweetened with sugar, or well, how is the sugar processed? Is it evaporated cane juice sugar, or is it standard sugar, or some other sweetener? And do you like the fruit on the bottom, or do you want the fruit mixed in? Or the ones my kids love, it's two completely separate containers where there's fruit on one side in your yogurt, and you choose how to mix it and when. And This is, I mean, just to buy a little tub of yogurt. You're making a lot of choices. Now, that's not the most significant choice you'll make in your life. I mean, it's, a, it's important, I suppose. But, uh, you know, think about even greater choices. I was talking to my son just on Friday, and we were talking. We were driving by a college, and I said, hey, this is a college, and we're talking about education. He said, Dad, I don't know what career I want to do. i got to figure that out. And, and we're going to figure out. Then I can figure out maybe uh, what, maj- what to major in and where to go to school and then we're talking about how you, how you choose that and how you, how you pay for that, and we're having these conversations. No, he's 10 years old. <laughs> but we live in a culture where, where children can just basically, you just kind of choose what path you want to go, what kind of career, so then what kind of education do I need? And it's just all blank slate wide open. Most people in the world and most children in the world don't have that kind of choice that, oh, I could be any vocation or career that I want, or I have, you know, I could just go anywhere to learn. I mean, this is, this is because of where we live and how we live and the resources that we have. And, and, and again, I like choices, but because of the amount of choices and because they're so vast, we need wisdom more than anyone. We need wisdom today to make these choices, to make good and godly choices in our lives. We are desperate for wisdom, and as people of faith, we are desperate for God's wisdom, the God of the universe who knows everything, to tap into and to know and to use his wisdom. So we have been working our way through the book of Proverbs this summer. We're calling this series Everyday Wisdom. The first week, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Brian was here, and he was teaching about what is wisdom, and wisdom is skill, essentially, skill and knowledge as skill applied, you know, moral skill and ethical skill. And then last week, we talked about how do we grow in wisdom? How do I get it and grow in it? And we focused in on that key verse, that magnet verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. It's about not being wise in my own eyes, but but trusting and having faith in God and his wisdom, and that's how we get it and grow in it. Today, we want to focus on 
well, if I know what wisdom is and I know how to get it and grow, how do I walk in it? How do I, in my everyday walk, what does that look like to walk a wisdom lifestyle? And the image here in the text is as we walk a wisdom lifestyle, it is that straight path. Same, same image as last week. It's, it's verse 11. It is, I will instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along a straight path. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. There's this image of a road that is smooth and there's no obstruction. And we live in a world that is complicated and broken in so many ways. We want as smooth of a path and as direct of, of a way of life that we might walk in God's goodness and in his light. And this is, this is what we want. So I want to focus in on three aspects, three characteristics of a wisdom lifestyle as we walk in wisdom. The first is a vigilant posture. The second aspect is a guarded heart. And the third aspect is hearing ears. So vigilant posture, guarded heart, hearing ears. Let's pray as we jump into this. Father, you're good in all that you've called us to and all that you've called us to be as your family, as your children. And we are mindful as we see the things around us of, of a children who will be here tomorrow, and we pray that you will bless and teach them. But Lord, in the same way, we pray that you would bless and teach us in this time. We know that you're here. We know that you desire to give your wisdom, Lord. So open us up to receive it, Lord. Break through our sin, break through our foolishness, and give us your wisdom this morning, Lord, we pray. And we ask it because you're a good God, and we ask it because you're a good Father, and you love to give your wisdom to your children. So we thank you, and we praise you for that. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. The first characteristic I want to focus in here on a wisdom lifestyle, a wisdom walk, is a vigilant posture. And your posture is very important. And even as I talk about that, some of you are sitting up a little straighter, and um, that's good. And even your posture as you walk, how you, you, know, how you stand as you walk. I have, I have a, a really awkward gait, if you've seen me walk before. For those of you who have ever seen me run, I'm sorry. They, but like I have, my toes are out like this. They call it duck feet, you know, but I have this duck feet thing. And I remember I was working with a trainer and he was pointing out to me my duck feet. And he said, you know, it's your kinetic chain is, is mixed up. Because I try to point my toes straight, but then inevitably when I get lazy, they just kind of out. And he said, well, it's actually higher up your kinetic chain. It's in it's your hips. And your hips are actually out. And it's because your core is weak, and you need to work. So then we're going to do all these exercises to strengthen the core, which make me sore, which will pull the hips in and then my toes, and then maybe I'll have normal walk. In your spiritual life, your posture and how you, how you are seated and how you walk is very important. And the, again, the, the notion of walking in, in Hebrew thought, and even in Greek thought, the idea of walking is sort of all of a way of life, is this, you know, your walk of life. But here's the, here's the problem. Look at verse 14. We need to be vigilant because, because of this. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go on your way. The, the point here is we... we we need to be vigilant in our posture as we walk because the world is evil. And there's a lot of paths that can lead to destruction. And we realize as we read descriptions like this, 
is that our faith is very active. Our faith is something, and in God's wisdom, is something that we need to pursue. It's not just something that just sort of, that we drift into. That it takes an intentional posture, a vigilant posture. Earlier in this chapter, Proverbs 4, verses 5 and 7 says, Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Wisdom is supreme, therefore, get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. And in the imagery there is of pursuing a woman that you love. Go get it. Be active. Don't just get lazy. And laziness and apathy are forms of foolishness. And if you've been reading along through Proverbs, you, you see it talks about the sluggard. It talks about the lazy. It's spiritual apathy. And we can drift into this. And we, we need to be vigilant to not do that. You know, some people just allow themselves to get spiritually disconnected, not intentionally running from God, not living some wild life, but they just get spiritually apathetic. And then people get in trouble and they realize, ah, I got I to gotta do something to overcome this trouble. I'm going to get back to church. I'm going to get back to Christian community. I'm going to start doing the things. In the, and, and that's good to the extent that God uses our troubles to draw us back to himself. But you know how much trouble can be avoided if we remain vigilant spiritually. And it's not just laziness, it's also busyness. And we do this thing, and God never designed this, but we somehow have decided that we have sacred part of our life, and we have just the secular rest of our lives, and we get really busy in the things that we consider not to be sacred. And we focus on those, and we're, you know, not lazy people, but really high-capacity, achieving-type people, and they just get so busy that they neglect their, their heart, their spiritual life. And whether it's through laziness or busyness, here the reminder is to be actively aware. Why? Why do we need to be so vigilant? Because the world is evil. Because evil exists, and it exists in three main forms. One is we have a spiritual enemy, the devil. And as elsewhere in Scripture, 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We have a real spiritual enemy who seeks to destroy those of faith. So you have that. Secondly, you have evil people. There are people who do evil things. They people who are broken and, and are hurt, and hurt people hurt people. And again, it's not about labeling people, oh, that's an evil person, that's a good person. And it's not about judging them, but it's about being aware of the reality that there are people who do evil things in this world. And it's not judging. Look, I mean, the saddest verse in this whole passage is verse 19. This is one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. Look at verse 19. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. The wicked are in such deep darkness, they don't even know. They don't even realize it. Therefore, that's why people resent Christians. Oh, here comes the Christians again, telling me I'm a sinner. Here comes another Christian thinking they're better than me thinking they're holier than me. And it's, it, no, that's not it at all. It's not about me judging you. It's about seeing, understanding the difference between light and darkness and that there is a good path of light. 
But people get stuck in such deep darkness, they don't even realize it. And it is heartbreaking to see somebody stumble through the darkness and they don't know it. But we have to watch out because we have an enemy and there's such brokenness and evil in people. And then thirdly is your own evil and brokenness and folly, your own foolishness. We haven't really touched on this as we think about God's wisdom, but we are not naturally wise. God's word is clear. We are naturally fools, every one of us, me included. We are not born wise and then we slowly get dull. We are born dull. Spiritually dead is really how Scripture describes it. And you're born, you know, you're born in the image of God, so you're good, but you're born with the condition of sin, which means we're very broken. And we all have different wiring. We all have different temperament. And you might be very familiar with your temperament. You might know your Myers-Briggs letters. You might know your disc profile or your strength finders top five strengths. You might know those types of ways that you're geared and wired. And you know that at times your natural inclination to respond in a situation or respond to conflict in a certain way, you know, some people are naturally extroverted or naturally introverted. You know that there's times when that helps you and that's good. You also know there's times when that's a liability where you have to push against your nature because it would be folly, it would be foolishness to approach every situation the same way. If you approached every situation like the same way, that's not wisdom, that's foolishness. You have to know how to respond and how I need to work with my natural gifting or against my natural inclinations, how I'm wired, to live a wise life. There is no temperament that is so godly above another. It's just how we're wired, and we're always fighting against our own foolishness and how we're wired, um, both good in the image of God and broken in sin. So we've got an enemy, we've got evil people, and we've got our own foolishness. So we have to be very careful. The Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus. He says this, Ephesians 5.15, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So our first, the first aspect of, of our wisdom lifestyle is to be alert. We live in an evil world, and we need God's wisdom uh, to help us navigate these things on a straight path. That's the first thing. Second thing, the second characteristic, the second aspect of a wisdom lifestyle is a guarded heart, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it, flows from your heart. Above all else, with all this vigilance, your greatest vigilance needs to be to guard your heart. You know, the heart as an organ in your body is a crucial, vital organ. When you are sick, no matter what your sickness, they're always checking your vital signs, your heart rate and your blood pressure and how your heart is functioning. These are... It, when your heart stops working, you die. The heart is crucial to life. And here, metaphorically, you know, the heart is the center. And we often think of the heart as the center of our emotion and our passions. So my heart is what drives me. But my head is where I'm rational and where my intellect is. So if my heart and my passion is here and my intellect is here, shouldn't wisdom flow from my head and not my heart? Here, Scripture says it flows from my heart. 
more so than my brain. It's an interesting contrast. But also interesting that pop psychology actually will confirm that this is true, that the heart is more important than the intellect. If you want to, if you own a business and you want to hire the best employees who will be the most successful, they say you're going to want people with a high emotional intelligence more than just you know, cognitive intelligence. That stu- predictors of success of students in, in school and success in life has much more to do with emotional intelligence than just intelligence. And so I'm learning these things. I'm learning them mostly from my wife. But um, SEL, social emotional learning, is now, uh, so most schools have some sort of social emotional learning program because if you lack those social skills, those emotional skills, you'll have trouble learning and trouble succeeding in other areas of life. If you don't have the uh, you know, empathy or problem-solving skills, managing your emotions, this, these are things that will set you back in life so that the heart is actually more important than just the brain in, in a pop psychology. And I'm not here to teach pop psychology. I'm here to teach God's word. But it's interesting that the more we understand about human development, the more it just confirms what God's word has said for hundreds of years. That above all else, it is the heart, your passion, your desire, your motivations, what you need in life or what you think you need in life. It all is flowing from the heart. You know, cognitive therapy, you know, therapeutic clinical therapy models, you know, it's all based on understanding where your, you know, how to change your thoughts, thoughts that are destructive, thoughts that lead to depression, thoughts that are uh, anxious or destructive in, in some way, reframing them and understanding that your desires can be out of whack. It's all heart-level stuff. But beyond those things, deeper than those things, it's not just your emotion and your passion. It's what makes those, where is the emotion and the passion coming from? That even deeper into the heart is this bedrock of all of who you are. That's why it's so important to guard your heart, because everything else flows from it, not just your passions, not just your emotions. You know, even some people say, look, you're a person of faith, and you, you're a religious person, you use faith. I'm a rational person, and I'm a, I, I trust science, and I use that. So we're operating out of different realms. And I say, your heart tells you that you can trust science. Even the assumptions you make about the world and observation, these are all it's all heart level. It's not like I use my heart and you use your brain. It all flows from the heart. So how do we guard it? How do I guard my heart in my everyday? How do I understand the things that capture my heart that maybe are not in line with God's way? I would say this. Tomorrow, you'll have an opportunity. Emotions could run high. You're going to go to work tomorrow. You're going to come here and volunteer for VBS, and you might become impatient, or anxious, or angry, wherever God calls you tomorrow, and it's a matter of recognizing that there's a heart-level thing going on when you become anxious, when you become depressed, when you become, there's a heart-level thing, and asking God to show you what it is. Psalm 139, the psalmist prays, search me, O God, know my heart, test me, Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 
It's about asking the God of the universe to search what's in there. What's not just my emotions, understanding and reframing my emotions, but below that, what's my heart condition that's bringing out even those emotions? And God can show us and help us to tune our hearts to his heart. But above all else, guard your heart. So we have vigilant posture because the world is evil and we have a guarded heart because everything's going to flow from there. And the last thing is hearing ears. We see this in verses 20 to 22. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Interestingly, Jesus said the same thing when he comes to this world. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus spoke. Everybody heard him, but he said only some people have ears to really hear the message of the kingdom, to hear God's wisdom being spoken. And we need to hear God's wisdom, and we need those words to shape our life and to shape our walk and to shape our heart. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Brian gave the challenge to, as we go through the book of Proverbs, to read Proverbs every day be, this summer, be reading Proverbs. And he asked me to have you stand up for those of you who uh, have not been reading and, and to admit that you haven't done it and to challenge you again to, to, uh, to read them. I won't do that. So, Brian, this is not the Marines anymore. We don't do that. <laughs> I'm just teasing. He, um, but it's a good challenge. Oh, it's a good challenge, though. Because what you're doing when, God's word, when you're using God's word and you're into it every day, you're using that to shape. You're, having, you're putting it in your ears, but not just to hear it, but to hear it and hear it deeply. Now, Proverbs, I'll admit, is, is hard to read because it's a lot. The first nine chapters talks about wisdom and how to gain wisdom and some of what we've been focusing on. But the rest of the book is just a collection of sayings. These are wise sayings. They're true sayings, but they're hard to read because they're poetic and a lot of imagery, and they're not in order. They're not grouped. If I had a book of wisdom sayings published today, you'd categorize it by topic. That's just not how things were collected then. So I would say there's 31 chapters in Proverbs. You could read one a day for a month. A lot of months have 31 days, and you could do it that way. Um, small chunks is probably better than big chunks. And just read. If one stands out to you as you read these sayings, meditate on it, think about how might this apply to my life, and just take it in small chunks, uh, one step at a time, but do read it. That's a good challenge that Brian gave us. Um, one thing that's helpful as we do things like this is a small group. Uh, if, you've not, if you're not familiar with a small group, we gather together. Here is a large group on Sundays, but throughout the week, there's a number of groups where as we search scripture together, we help each other understand it and apply it to our lives. And it's really a good next step of understanding God's word and, and, and applying his wisdom to our everyday lives. And some of them are hard to figure out, so it helps to have people to figure out some of the tougher ones. But So I, I do commend you to do that, but there's a problem. Is that you can memorize all the sayings, all the wisdom sayings you want, and all the scripture, all the sayings in scripture, and you get to a point and you face trouble, you face a trauma or loss. You're stuck. And somebody gives you a, 
a word of wisdom, they give you a word of scripture, and it just rings, it rings hollow. I've heard people say that. They faced a loss, and people gave them cards, and they wrote verses, and they say, look, I know this is God's word, and I know these are true words, but they just are ringing hollow. And the reason that happens is we need more than words. We need more than just the best wisdom sayings that are out there. We need, we need something more alive than that. And interestingly, through Proverbs, we see wisdom is something that's personified. Wisdom is, is a person. Again, in chapter, earlier in chapter 4, verse 6, Proverbs 4, 6, Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. Verse 8, Esteem her, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. Wisdom is this, uh, is a person here. And we see that throughout the book. Then you get to chapter 8 in Proverbs, and there's this really interesting description of wisdom. So there's the Lord exists, and wisdom is with God before creation, eternally with God. And you have wisdom and you have God, and then all things are created, and wisdom and God celebrate and rejoice in the creation. Interestingly, you read in the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, that you have the Word of God with God, eternally with God, before creation, and then all things are created. And then there is a goodness and a light to this creation. And then that Word takes on human flesh and lives with humanity. That's Jesus. So this wisdom of God, the Word of God, comes down. The wisdom of God comes from heaven to earth. This is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, Christ is the wisdom of God. What is wisdom? Wisdom is when you take knowledge and you apply it to real life. God's wisdom is God in heaven, comes down, applied to real life, walking real life, showing us himself. And Jesus said, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. All this wisdom in all of God's way is pointing to Jesus, and we, can, we, we saw Jesus and saw what he did, and he died on the cross in your place. What does wisdom do? Wisdom gives its life for you. Jesus takes on your foolishness and your sin that you might have new life in his wisdom, and it's a living, active relationship with the God of the universe, not just sayings, not just words, but it's alive. That type of love, when you realize how much God loves you and how much he desires his wisdom for you, that is, and that he was willing to die that you can have it, that's the kind of love that will actually change your heart. The bedrock of your life from which everything else flows will actually change when you accept that by faith. So as you go about your week, as you leave this place, wherever God calls you, be vigilant, guard your heart, and have ears to hear the true wisdom of God. Jesus is the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God from heaven come to this earth to save you and by his spirit to guide you in paths of righteousness for his glory. Amen.